We are in Acts chapter 14, and if you have your Bible with you, you're welcome to turn there. You know the, the story, those of you who are here on Sunday nights, uh, we are um, going to deal with this title, The Gods Are Here. Let me just quickly recap, tell you where we are at. We're in the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. They had a great ministry. Let me just put up the map here so that you can see. Can everybody see clearly? You know, sometimes I wonder maybe everybody can't see. That's very clear. That's not always very clear, but everybody can see there, right? Okay, so the first missionary journey started down there in Antioch. They moved across. They went to uh, Cyprus, moved through the whole island, and connected there with the governor of that island. Then they went by ship over to Perga, and then on to city in Antioch. And in city in Antioch, they were chased out of the place. They sh shook the dust off their feet. The next day, they went to Iconium. And in Iconium, they were also... Um, threatened with death. We're going to talk about that. So, in any case, when they got to Iconium, they started in the synagogue where they, where they preached the gospel very effectively, the Bible says, and many people believed. But there were some people who refused to believe, and that, those were the Jews. They refused to believe, and so what they did is they poisoned the minds of those who were trying to believe. Um, so, the apostles decided, you know, instead of retreating and leaving, they said, well, let's hang around. Let's battle this battle out. Let's, let's challenge these guys who is poison the minds of, of the other people, and let's fight for the gospel. And then God does something interesting. He intervenes from heaven, and He allows the apostles to perform incredible miracles. And that was quite interesting for me to see, as that, you know, when, when man struggles, God intervenes. Very, very cool. And they, they did a great job, and the miracles confirmed the word. And so after great preaching and great miracles, still after all of that, there were some people in this town that refused to believe, and the town was literally split in two. You had a bunch of people who believed and a bunch of people who didn't believe. And, you know, there's so many things that we can learn from that. If you want to go listen to that lesson, you're welcome to do that. It's, it's on the website, I think. There comes a point where division is all that is left, where you've got to reach a point where you say, okay, we've got to agree to disagree. That seems to be what happened in this town. Um, unfortunately, the people who dislike truth, they don't like letting things go. They just don't like to let things go. They hate the truth. We see it the same way in our country today as well. People who hate the truth, they don't want to let it go. And so they want to go and try and kill the apostles. And with that, um, the apostles flee to that town over there called Lystra. I think it's there, that one there. So they leave from Iconium, they go down to Lystra, and they continue to preach the word. What happens in Lystra? That's the um, topic for tonight. Let me ask some questions to just get our brain juices flowing. Do you believe that you are helping Jesus? Now, that might sound like a weird question. I mean, how can you help Jesus? And what I mean by that is, is are you contributing to what Jesus is trying to do in the world that we live in? What Jesus is trying to do in this town? Are we part of His mission? Number two, why is it easier to worship people than God? That seems to be like really something happening in, in America. I mean, I think, um, you know, if we're not, you know, we're worshiping celebrities, we're worshiping quarterbacks, we're worshiping movie stars. Why is it that people generally find it so easy to worship people rather than God? Who wants us to be comfortable, Satan or God? If we could speak to God tonight, what would he say? I would like you to be comfortable. Or would Satan be the one that would be saying that? Uh, fourthly, why are there so many religions? Good question, right? Is there something behind it all? I think that we believe that there is. 
And then lastly, how do you feel when people praise you? How do you feel when people praise you? When they say, well, you, you're quite amazing. You've got quite a, a way of doing things. Well, well, well done. How does that handle you? All of these questions will sort of come up in the lesson tonight. And I hope that the, you know, the questions help you to be um, excited about what's coming up. Okay. Are you ready? Now, I've said on, on, on Sunday nights a few times, like, okay, guys, we've got a text tonight. It's a little bit, oh, like, oh, are we going to get through this? The text for tonight is really cool. This is one of my favorite uh, stories of the Apostle Paul. So, with that excitement in mind, let's go. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame or crippled. don't know what your, your translation says. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Now, quick question. Where did Paul usually go preach? When he got into a new town. The synagogue. This text doesn't say that he went into the synagogue. So it seems like this is the first town that Paul doesn't go into the synagogue. I don't know if there wasn't a synagogue. But you will see as we go on with the text that he was surrounded by people. And he's surrounded by a crowd of people. And his listeners were primarily pagans. So somehow Paul entered the city, a deeply pagan city, and somehow God had given him this audience. I don't know if he went into the marketplace and he just started talking. The Greek word here is not that he preached or that he read. It's laleo. It's just he's talking. So somewhere, somehow, a crowd of people gathered around him. And there in the crowd is a, is a crippled person. And as Paul is speaking, I can imagine in my mind, he sees the facial expression of a man born crippled. Do you, have you seen a face that really believes what you're saying? Really believes it. You know, I, I, I look at faces like I'm looking at faces now. And you, can, you learn to read people's faces when they're with you, when they're not, when they're sleeping. Tom, you know, I'm just joking. Nancy, I mean. No, I'm just joking. I mean, you can see people's faces. I mean, Paul is busy talking and he sees this guy's face and he makes a judgment. He says, this, guy's, this guy has some faith. What is interesting about this beggar, is, well, about this crip, crippled person is that he's not begging. The text doesn't indicate that. He's just sitting there. He's just believing. Paul can see the man believes what he's saying and decides to offer him this gift of healing. Paul, in a sense, looked at the man. Do you, do you remember where an apostle looked at a man that was also a cripple? Do you remember that? The man, the cripple that was by the gate called Beautiful. The text says specifically he looked straight at him. And said, silver and gold I don't have, but this I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And, that, and when we did that lesson, I remember specifically what came to my mind is that everybody was walking past the crippled guy because, you know, they know he was a beggar and they don't want to give money. It's the same thing as I do with beggars, especially here in America. I don't even, you know, because I don't have much res respect for most beggars here if I know there's jobs around the corner. But it's, 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 it's often, it's so... Um, it's challenging to walk past beggars, especially if you don't have money. You don't know how to look them in the eye. Like I've told you what happened in South Africa is you go through the drive-in and you buy a McDonald's burger. And as you take the first bite, there's a beggar at your window. And you feel like, oh, this tastes so good. Must I give it away now or what? You know? 
So I think people avoided the beggars. I think many people avoided the beggars. You, you only wait to the temple to go pray, and this guy's begging with his little tin, ding, 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 asking for money. But when, but when Peter came past, he looked at him specifically, saying, I acknowledge you, man. I see you where nobody else does. And I don't have money for you, but I've got Jesus Christ, and I'll give him to you. Paul is busy talking. He sees this individual that is in deep need. He sees in his face, this guy believes, man. And he says, I'm going to give you a gift today. Um, previously, there was preaching. Um, and when necessary, there were miracles. Um, but here in Lystra, this deeply pagan city, it seems like God allowed this event to play out like this. To make a mark in the city and to penetrate this pagan, um, this pagan town. And he deliberately puts Paul and this guy in the same place at the same time. Um, a few thoughts that came to my mind. The, the first thing is this. Jesus helped the cripple and the crippled helped Jesus. Jesus goes on to heal this man. And so Jesus is changing his life, right? He changes his life. But this man's life, as you will see in the text, this man's miracle becomes a testimony of God's power during the preaching of the gospel in this town. So Jesus heals him, and then Jesus uses him. Spiritual maturity happens, this is important, when we switch from needing Jesus to help us into the position where we help Jesus' mission. We've got to switch it over. And I've said that in different ways. And my, the f way that I like saying it the most is saying, are you on mission or are you the mission? There's got to come a point where you are no longer the mission, but you are on mission. So from hearing his message, this guy had now an opportunity to go speak his message. From accepting his message into sending his message. That's a thought that came to my mind. And secondly, faith in Christ leads to faith in the impossible. And I did a lesson about this a few, uh, two weeks ago. You know, I can't even remember what I preached this morning, brother. I mean, you ask them, I don't even know what I preached this morning. But this was a few weeks ago. Um, faith in Christ leads to faith in the impossible. The question is, what did this guy believe? Now, the lesson I did a few weeks ago was about having faith in Jesus. The goal of the miracles was to confirm the message of the gospel, to confirm that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That was the purpose. The purpose of miracles wasn't just to heal people. Like, for example, in this instance, right? The purpose of the miracle was what do you think? Do you think God just had compassion on the cripple? Or is it both, perhaps? Of course God cares about the crippled guy. But God wants that town to be saved. He wants that town to know His Son, Jesus Christ. And so He allows this miracle to take place. So that this town can believe the message of the apostles. So I think this guy believed both. I think he believed, and I'm, it's just my opinion. I think he believed Paul when he said Jesus is the Son of God. I think he believed that. But I also think because of that, he believed if Paul is a messenger bringing truth from God, then God is in him and God is present and God could heal him of his crippleness as well. And that's what I mean by this statement. He believed that they were spokesmen for God, and therefore they carried the presence of God and the power of God. So faith, when we say we believe in Christ, we believe in Him as the, our, our Savior. We believe in Him as the Son of God. 
and that gives us access to eternal life. But also, it seems to open up this, this, this gateway that anything is possible. Because if we believe in the Son, if we have the Son of God on our sides, and He is God, then anything is possible for us. And then indeed, when Jesus says, if you ask for anything in my name, believe that you have it, and you will have it, becomes true. All right, don't worry, it's going to get more exciting. This is just the beginning. Let's go to verses 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lysonian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths, it's apparently some form of decoration, to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. What is a wreath, ladies and gentlemen? It sounds like something like that. I don't know. Is it a plant? Oh, okay. So what I read, they says they, they decorate the bulls with this. Can you imagine? Somebody says, oh, I'm going to sacrifice a cow to you. For you. <laughs> it must be crazy. You guys, this, you're, you, know, I, we, you know, one of the things I'm looking forward to is to sit by the river of life and talk to Paul about all these stories. Can you imagine? Now, I find it interesting that they, the, the miracle happened and, and, and the apostles were hoping for a response, right? They're hoping for a response. They were hoping for a response where people would say, yeah, God is here. And indeed, they got the response that they were looking for. Um, they wanted people to be conscious of God. But instead of listening to Paul and seeing who Paul was pointing to, which is Jesus, they assumed that Paul and Barnabas were some pagan gods in human form. They said Barnabas was Zeus. That's sort of what Zeus looked like. Apparently an older guy who sits in a chair with actually a, a lightning bolt in his one hand and in the other hand a, an eagle. No, I don't think that's an eagle, but this is one of the images I got off the, got off the internet. Now, Zeus, they say, was the father of the gods, the supreme god, the ruler, protector, and father of all gods and humans. Um, scholars say, this suggests, because they said that Barnabas is this god, it seems to suggest that Barnabas was bigger than Paul, that he was perhaps a taller man, bigger, more rustic, and older than Paul. I've never thought about that, because I, I always think like Barnabas is maybe younger than Paul, but it seems like Barnabas was perhaps an older man than Paul, and that's just conjecture, you know, I'm not, uh, but it's interesting that they say Barnabas must be Zeus. What does the text say? Paul is who? Hermes. Why? What did the text say? Because he was the speaker. Now this is, so, so Paul is Paul is Hermes. This is what Hermes looked like, apparently. Young guy, shaven face. Okay? He is the God of eloquence and the messenger to the gods, of the gods. And he is an attendant of Zeus. He's handsome and athletic, beardless, with winged boots and a herald wand. You can understand why they thought, well, Paul must be this guy. So, obviously, it seemed like Paul was the younger guy uh, to them. And when they had to make a judgment, oh, this guy, you know, he could be this God or that God. But because he was the mouthpiece, it made sense when they said, well, he's Hermes. Because he was the, 
um, the messenger, the messenger of the gods. And he could move quickly to bring messages to the different gods. So, now, this is the view that they have. And it seems like just outside of town, there was an idol or a, um, a, a, a temple dedicated to Zeus. And there was a priest there. And he's like, oh my goodness, the, the gods have come down to our town. And he gets the bulls together and he, he goes to the city gate and he's about to offer up these, um, these animals to these two men. Um, can you imagine? Paul and Barnabas probably had some guys bowing down to them. Have you had anybody bow down to you ever? You need to, all the men, you need to talk to your wives, man. You need to, no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Sometimes people will hang on to you instead of God when you love them. That's what happened here. They experienced a compassionate gift from Paul and Barnabas. Something divine. When you love somebody extraordinary... And you're a kind, extraordinary. People tend to hang on to you. Your friendliness, compassion, and kindness will attract them to you. They will want to give you glory. They will want to give it to you. They will want to praise you because you've blessed them. It's understandable, right? It's totally understandable. Or shall we say it was really God in you that blessed them? It is in these moments that we must never forget that our job is to do what? We are just pointers. Our job is to point to Him. So when people look at you, remember what they must see. They must see you do this, not this. Point to Him. Deflect glory unto God. Take the shine off yourself and onto God. Do you remember what happened with Herod the Great? A few weeks ago. Remember that, brother? You still came to me afterwards. Then. Herod the Great. The crowd says, when Herod the Great speaks, remember he's always in his silver dress coat. He's like, he's the man. He arrives at the amphitheater. And he gives a speech. Great speech. And the people shout, this is the voice of a God. Not a man. And then the text tells us, this is Acts chapter 12, by the way. The text tells us, that because he did not give glory to God, he accepted the praise. When people said he was a God, he immediately died and was eaten by worms. Or he was eaten by worms and then died. Either way, it's horrible. Dead. Now, the apostles are being treated like gods here. What do you think they do? Obviously not what Herod did. Let's read what happens. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, Sorry, they tore their clothes, which is a sign of utter um, uh, discontent and unhappiness and, and mourning. So they, they, when they heard this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd and shouted. They shouting, friends, in the Greek is saying men, aner, why are you doing this? We too are only human. Like you. We're flesh like you. And we're just here. We're here to bring you good news. Telling you to turn from these worthless things. Like idols. 
to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet, he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Yo. So they tore their clothes, they ran and they screamed and said, don't do this. Now, to be honest with you, this was a prime opportunity to receive some glory. This is a prime opportunity to receive some glory. And I want us to think about it. And perhaps this was another tactic of Satan. Now, you've walked with me through the book of Acts. And you've seen over and over again, behind the scenes, if you read between the lines, who is there? Satan is there. And he's busy the whole time. He threatens with persecution. He threatens with death. Over and over again. But what else do we see Satan do? And this seems to be one of the first times, maybe the first time I'm noticing it, that this potentially comes up. Because, make no mistake, these guys are pagans. That's the work of Satan. Do you remember what happened with Jesus when he was in the wilderness? What did Jesus, what did he promise Jesus? Promised him power, fame, glory, dominion. And perhaps this was another tactic of Satan on the apostles. I will give you this town. These people will worship you and revere you. You'll be comfortable. They'll put you in a palace here. You don't have to run around anymore, facing death the whole time, struggling to proclaim this message. I'll give you this town. Look, the people are bowing down to you, man. They want to sacrifice cows to you. Very easy. Just stop the mission here. Stop preaching here. Stop in this town. I've gone far enough now. Now, we might think, yo, because we look at the Apostle Paul and we think, well, obviously that would never, maybe it would never come up in his mind. But I think if we were with him in Lystra, it would have been a very high possibility for a fleshly person to rather say it will be much more comfortable to hang around here than to continue going on with this mission. Anyways, I think Satan offers comfort to keep us out of the war. I honestly think he does that. He offers comfort. Ladies and gentlemen, to do God's will is uncomfortable. It's not easy. It's really uncomfortable. You're going to fight wars that you don't have to fight if you, if, if, if you were not a Christian. Paul and Barnabas could have stayed in that town for the rest of their lives and probably lived like royalty because of this miracle that they've performed. Now, let me be real. I remember what I spoke about this morning. Those of you who were here, it was hard for me to preach this morning and to preach those things and to say those things. I could have just chosen a different route. Honestly, did I have a choice as to what I was going to say? Well, if I didn't care about God and His Word, yeah, I could have said whatever. I could have chosen like words that everybody wants to hear. Words that's comfortable. Words that make everybody smile. 
I could have chosen texts that's nice, soothing to the ear, that doesn't really challenge us, that doesn't make us think twice about our faith or where we are at. I really could have. But we are at war. We are at war. You and me, we are at war with our comfort zone that keeps us from being obedient to Christ. It has an impact on our spiritual lives. It's like, it's like me and my couch. Me and my couch, we're at war. And me and my TV, we are at war. In, in, the, in the mornings when I wake up and it's, and, it's, and it's cold, especially in the winter, I don't want to go into that room and climb on the treadmill and run. I'd rather go lie on the treadmill and watch TV. I'm at war with the TV and the couch because it's keeping me in my comfort zone. It's difficult. So it's, it's definitely for me as, 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 a, as, a, as a servant of God, a mouthpiece for God, it's very uncomfortable. It's not comfortable for me to address sensitive issues. But it's not going to make the church grow. It's not going to help us go to the next level. It's certainly not going to help our faith. It's not helping my faith, just saying what everybody wants to hear. So it's good for us to be challenged in our comfort zone. It's good for me to be challenged. It's good for each one of us to be challenged in our comfort zone. I'm not going to bow down to Satan and take the comfortable road. I can do that. I know how to say things nicely and softly and comfortably. Satan doesn't want to unseat us. God does. Satan doesn't want to unseat us. He wants us to stay in the rut that we've been in for 50 years. He'd like to keep us there. Just practice your comfortable Christianity. Just stay where you're at. Because the moment you get out of here, you're going to start making an impact. He doesn't want us to go there. So he makes it nice and cozy. Let's keep it there. So they shouted, these guys, listen, we are humans like you. We bring you good news. I'll go back to the text there. We bring you good news about the real God. And I'm like, well done, apostles. Well done. You could have chosen just a comfortable road, but you, 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 you stood up. You pointed to God. You took the attention off yourself. And then they, they speak about God. And, and there's some interesting verses here. And, you know, I don't want to unpack it too much. But there's so much in here. But they, they talk about God, the Creator, the real God. And they say a few things about Him. I could pick up three things, summarize them into three things. First of all, they're saying, He is living. This God that we've come to preach, He is living. He doesn't come from a statue. He doesn't come from an idol. He's not made out of wood or rock, Right? There's no idol that can represent this God that I'm talking about. We cannot make an image of Him because there's nothing in the universe that He can be described by. And so they are placing this God above all of the gods that they've known. Secondly, they say that He's the Creator. If their gods were real, this God that Paul is preaching would be their Creator. Because the Greek gods, I did a bit of research, it doesn't seem to tell us that their gods died, but their gods had a birth. And so if there's a God who's a creator, it means He created their gods. And so they are continually elevating um, the living God over the, these Greek gods. And then thirdly, He is good to those who don't know Him. 
He's good to those who don't know him. And he says to him, man, you know, in the past, God allowed these pagan nations to go their own way. But now he's reached a point where he wants the whole world, the Gentiles as well, to know him. But he is not without testimony. Because in all these years that these pagan nations have lived and, and worshipped their idol, their, their idol gods, he had given them rain and given them crops in their season. And he's provided them with plenty of food. And he says, and he fills people's hearts with joy. So he's taken care of you. He's been kind to all the nations, even though they worship false gods. And so Paul is presenting such a beautiful picture of who this God is that we've come to worship tonight. It's so interesting. Despite what they say, the people still want to worship and sacrifice to them. So there's a crazy dichotomy. And I don't know if you, you can pick it up. There's a crazy dichotomy if we read the book of Acts. And also the story of Jesus' life. Check this out. You do a miracle, you do a miracle, and you point to the true God of heaven and earth. Right? You point to Jesus. Right? And then many people still don't believe. You've got you to beg them to believe the miracle when you point to the true God. You do the same miracle, but point to a false God. And everybody believes, and you can't get them to stop believing. I don't, I don't know if that's too complicated, but do you get that? I mean, it's two different. There's, there's, there's a miracle. There's, there's a crippled cripple person that, that's healed. And you point to God and you say, well, the God of heaven and earth did this. And then still the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they won't believe. It's like, you gotta, it's like pulling teeth trying to get them to believe that, that, that God is at work here. The God of heaven and earth. But the moment that you have pagans who take a similar miracle, but they point to another God, then everybody believes. And nobody wants to stop believing. Why? Because Satan is involved. He would rather have you believe in any other God than Jesus. I'll say it again. Satan would rather have you believe in any other God as long as it's not Jesus Christ and his Father. When people are on the verge of believing in Jesus, Satan pulls out all the tools from his toolbox to stop it. But if you're going to go and you're going to believe in Allah, he's like, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, I'll help you, man. I'll help you believe that even more. Satan is the greatest supporter of non-Christian religion. He funds Islam with his personal money. And the same with Hinduism. People say that the fact that there are so many religions proves that God doesn't exist. Because if you happen to be born in Iran or some Muslim country, you will become a Muslim by birth. Now, that is a, a debate for another day. We can talk about that one day. But I believe the opposite is true. The fact, <coughs> the fact of the many religions prove, proves God to be true because it is evidence that there is a spiritual war going on to deceive people away from the truth. It's like Satan is saying, I don't mind if you believe in a God. I really don't have a problem with theism. That's what Satan is saying. As long as the God isn't Jesus. In actual fact, I will help you Find a false God. 
And if you can't find a false God, I'll help you create one. As long as you have one that isn't Jesus, I'll be happy with that. Now, these, this, this, is, this is what just excites me about the Apostle Paul. So the people still don't want to believe. Now check this turn of events. Verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. Which crowd? <laughs> it's the guys that just worshipped Paul and Barnabas. The Jews come. They, the, the Jews were incredible um, converters, weren't they? They were incredible persuaders. They could persuade you to be anything, to believe anything. They stoned Paul. And dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, him and Barnabas left for Derby. The, the apostles, they were expelled from city and Antioch by who? The Jews. In Iconium, there was a plot to kill the apostles. And so they fled Silently and secretly. Who were the instigators? The Jews. But these persecutors, they were ruthless. They were relentless. They searched for the apostles and followed them and influenced and formed. Listen to this carefully. The Jews formed an alliance with pagan worshippers. That's what happens here. The Jews formed an alliance with pagan worshippers to kill the apostles. And Satan is perhaps saying, oh, shucks. Is that a word that you know? Shucks. What, is it a bad word? Whew, sorry about that if it was. It's not a bad word. But Satan's like, oh, shucks. They didn't give in to the worship of the crowds. Let me call in the angry Jews again. Let me bring the angry Jews here. I know they hate the apostles. At every corner... There are people who challenge the apostles' work. Now this time, what happened every time else? Paul could escape, right? But this time it seems like Paul couldn't escape. The crowds cornered him, trapped him, and they stoned him. Do you know how badly you must beat somebody with stones to think that he's dead? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we, we, we <laughs> Sorry, I was just thinking about something. <laughs> we met some, uh, we were connected with some people, and it seems like this lady and her husband, they, they've been married for a while, and <clears throat> but she doesn't seem to be um, into her husband, and he had an uh, embolism or something of the heart. So she arrives at the hospital while he's practically dead, and she reminds them that he has a DNR. I don't know if you know what that means, but do not resuscitate. It's like she doesn't want her husband to come back. He made it back to life again. Now he tortures her. No, I'm just joking. I was just thinking about like seeing your husband half dead there. Paul is lying half dead on the floor. They were killing Paul, but you know what it was for Paul? For Paul, that whole experience of being stoned, it was just a visit to the tattoo parlor. Because remember, I don't know if you remember, but you know, I, I, don't, I can't remember if I did, but if I did gear, but I did a lesson on tattoos. You know, people saying, oh, can I have a tattoo? Well, Paul was full of tattoos, right? He said, I bear on my body the marks of Christ. What marks were those? Some of those marks were rocks that has beaten his body. 
So he was having, he's, he had lots of bruises from being stoned, right? And by the way, when they stoned, they don't throw you with pebbles, right? They throw you with brick-like rocks. They thought he was dead. So, firstly, do not love the praise of men. I probably don't have to say this, right? Do not love the praise of men. I was reminded of John 12, 43, that says, For they loved human praise more than praise from God, the people who opposed Jesus and who were not willing to stand up for Him. It feels good when people praise you. When you're elevated in the sight of people, don't take it to heart. Don't revel in it. Do not entertain it in your heart. Look at these people. It's in the Bible. Look at them. The same people who wanted to worship Paul and who refused to stop worshiping, who wanted to sacrifice animals for him, the same people did what? Killed him, essentially. In their minds, they thought they killed him. I'm sorry to say, that's the nature of humans. The person that praises you today could potentially hurt you tomorrow. Especially if that, and I'm not talking just about Christians. I'm, I'm talking about people who are governed by the, the evil one. They will hurt you. Today they're your best friend. Tomorrow they talk behind your back. So don't revel. I'm not saying distrust people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying be suspicious of people. I'm just saying don't put your trust in praise that comes from humans. Take the praise of God. Take it into your heart. But <laughs> Paul was not alone. The text says that he, was, he had disciples around him. And Paul is not a coward, which makes this man an incredible man. We don't know who the disciples were that surrounded him. It could perhaps have been some people that have come from Iconium or city in Antioch, not sure. It could have even been some people that were converted in Lystra. The text doesn't say, tell us. We do know that Timothy came from Lystra. Timothy might have been in the circle standing around um, Paul at this time. Um, but what's, what strikes you about this? What strikes you then? He got up and ran away. What's wrong with this guy? You don't back off from a fight. You go back. What changed in his mind? Let me explain. When people have tried to kill you, and you've seen God use you, make a crippled man walk, and you've met Jesus, I don't think you're scared of anything. I don't think you're scared of anything. This was probably the first time that Paul came close to death. Now, we know he came close to death many times. In Damascus, Paul's life was in danger. So what did they do to him? They were waiting at the gates. They wanted to kill him. So his friends, and this is just when he became a Christian, right? They put him in a basket through the, through the wall. They lowered him down and he escaped. And he goes to Jerusalem and he starts preaching the gospel there. And guess what? Within a few days, the people there hated him. And so they had to secretly take him to Tarsus. Remember, that's where Barnabas went and fetched him. Once again, people wanted him dead. In Syria and Antioch, he's chased away. He gets to Iconium, and the people want to do what? They want to kill him again. Every time Paul faces death, he runs away. But this time, he practically died. He's like, I've been dead once. I can keep going. You can do nothing against me. 
If God can keep me alive after being stoned, what am I scared of? He goes back into the same city. Maybe he had a Jack and a Joe and a, and a Julie, whoever was in his mind. He's like, I'm going to go finish up that conversation with you and just remind you of what the prophet Isaiah said about Jesus and make sure that when I leave tomorrow morning to Derby, that I've given you the whole counsel of the will of God. So I'm going back into the city and Satan's not going to stop me and stoning is not going to stop me and my injuries are not going to stop me. I'm going back. What a man. What a man. Maybe Paul was thinking here, eh. What do you say in America? Eh. Is that it? Something like, eh. Eh. It's not that bad to be thrown with rocks. Okay. I'm ready to die. If my God can heal the crippled, then he can protect me against evil and death. But I'm not going to let fear stop me from proclaiming the gospel. Oh, I think... Imagine you could see Satan's face when he thinks about Paul. Can you imagine his face? He's like that guy. Oh, just can't get rid of him. Can't stop him. Throughout this lesson, this text came to my mind. And it's one of my favorite texts. Paul writes to the Corinthians. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. Oh. We are in his triumphal procession and uses us. He uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. That's what Paul was doing in Lystra. He's just spreading the aroma of Christ, the knowledge of Christ. He spreads it everywhere. And the smell permeates the city everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? This is the difficulty at being a representative of Jesus Christ. Some people are not going to like what you say. But know that. The reason why they don't like what you say is because you smell like death to them. You remind them that they are condemned before God. But some people are going to listen to what you say. And they're going to hold on to what you said. And it's going to be a pleasant smell for them. You're going to be a pleasant smell for them because you are reminding them of life. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as, as those sent from God. And they were sent from God. And they said, we, Paul is saying, we're not in this for the money, man. We're not in this for anything else. We are in this because we've been sent by God for truth. Let's pray.